Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. Um, let me just open us in a, another word of prayer. Uh, Lord, I just ask for your presence to be upon us this morning. Uh, God, I, I plead with you for your spirit to be with us. Uh, we are your people, Lord, and you have promised us that you would never leave us or forsake us. So God, we ask right now that your spirit would open our ears so that we may hear what you would say to us, your church. Amen. Um, so I read a statistic that we make 35,000 decisions every day. I don't know how you would go about calculating that, um, but it's probably about right. I mean, if you think about it, just to the time you got here this morning, you've probably already made a couple hundred decisions. When you get up, how often do you hit that snooze button? What do you eat? What do you wear? You know, all of these tiny decisions have culminated in you being here this morning. Um, and our decisions have consequences. Now, the word consequences kind of has a negative connotation to it, but um, for today, just kind of think of it as an outcome. Um, so based on what you decided to wear today, you either currently feel too warm, too cold, or just about right. Right? Um, I had to decide if I was going to have a third cup of coffee before I came up here this morning to preach. So there may be some consequences based on my decision. Um, right? These are small decisions. But I don't think it would be a stretch to say that life can be summed up as a series of decisions. That's all our lives are, is just one decision after another. Now, for a lot of these small decisions, you, not, you might not put a lot of thought into it. I mean, maybe we should, but typically we reserve really thinking for those, those big decisions. You know, where do I go to college? Uh, what kind of job do I take? Who do I marry? Right, when we're coming to those sorts of decisions, we typically will pause and really think about it. And there's usually a, a few things that go into making those sorts of big decisions. So it's a culmination of knowledge, of experience, and emotion. It kind of helps us make a decision like that. But the thing is, we are making a decision hoping for a certain outcome, hoping for a particular type of consequence of our decision. Um, but we have imperfect vision and so we cannot see what that decision might lead to all of the time. And so for that, we need God's wisdom. I mean, certainly this is the case with marriage. Typically, when someone is going to be married for the first time, right, they have very limited knowledge about marriage other than what they may have experienced growing up. They have no experience with marriage, but there's a lot of emotion around that. And sometimes that emotion drives the decision of marriage, which may or may not be within God's wisdom. But the decision to marry somebody, in a sense, is a one-time decision. But that one-time decision, all it does is get you to the wedding day, right? You get to the ceremony with that decision. But that's not what marriage is. That's not what love is. And I want you to hear me right. I do not believe love to be an emotion. I believe love to be a decision to act in a particular way. So when I married Julia, 
amongst our vows, it was kind of wrapped up this idea that I am promising to her that every day I will decide to love her. Right? It's not just that I decided to marry her. I decided that every day I'm going to love her. So it's not just a one-time decision. I'm deciding to do what I've already decided to do. And we're going to see that um, in Deuteronomy today. Uh, So if you will, turn to Deuteronomy 28. We're going to be talking about decisions and consequences, um, looking at um, the Israelite life and uh, then seeing how it applies to us in Christ. So I had you turn to Deuteronomy 28, but I'm going to read from uh, Exodus 24 to begin with. Exodus 24, 3 through 8, says this. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So this was a type of marriage ceremony. Israel has entered into a covenant with God. Now, it's really important to remember the order of things that have happened. right? So way back in Genesis 12, Abraham was given a promise that through his people, all the people of the earth would be blessed and that they would be given a promised land to inherit for all generations. And for 400 years, they've been waiting for this promise. And in the midst of that, there was suffering and there was slavery. And then God rescued them out of that. And he brought them to the mountain where this covenant was made. But God has already rescued his people. And there were no strings attached Right? They could have rejected the covenant at this point and they would still be free from Egypt. The order is very important. But so Israel has said time and time again, we will do it. Yes, sign me up. I'm good. Right? They are in full agreement with this covenant with the Lord. So let's look a little bit more at this covenant. So Deuteronomy 28. Uh, We're going to start in verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people, as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see 
that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So this is the way the covenant is described. God has a significant part in this covenant to prosper his people. Verse 11 talks about an abundant prosperity. It's beautiful. I mean, everything will be fruitful, right? Israel's part in this covenant is obedience, obedience to the law that God has given them. And they've already received the law. They already know what it entails, and they have agreed to it. So there's, there's not like some bait and switch coming up or anything. Israel obeys. God pours out blessing. Obedience to the law is mandatory for them to have continued life in the land of promise. Right? Prosperity is the consequence of their decision to obey. The law was a way of life. I mean, think about it. Up to this point, no people on earth were living the way God wanted them to live. On the entire planet, there was not a people group living the way the Lord wanted them to live. God is establishing a new culture in Israel, right? He had to take the Canaanites out of the land because the culture of the land of Canaan was wicked. And he had to wipe it out to establish a new culture that can be summed up as love the Lord and love your neighbor. This is what God is trying to institute. The rest of chapter 28 deals with curses for disobedience. So if they decide to not obey the law, the consequences would follow. Turn over to chapter 30. I'm going to start in verse 11. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and keeping his commandments and his statutes and his, rule, and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you 
in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. But I thought they already decided to do this, right? Didn't they already make this decision? Why is Moses saying they need to decide again? Today was repeated numerous times in that passage. It doesn't doesn't really matter what you said back then. I mean, it matters, but it doesn't really matter. What are you going to do today? Like, today, are you going to follow the Lord? Today, are you going to be faithful to him? So, in a sense, it is the same decision, but it's not. Because they need to decide today that they're going to do what they decided to do already. They need to decide each and every day to follow the Lord, to keep his law, love the Lord, love your neighbor. They have to decide again today. And the decision that's in front of them is between life and good or death and evil. Right? It, doesn't always, it doesn't always seem that way when we're making a decision. Right? Sometimes things seem neutral. No, it's life and good, death and evil. All decisions can be boiled down to that. Faithfulness to God by loving the Lord, walking in his ways, keeping his law, leads to an abundant life. And disregarding God leads to death. Can you think of another time in the Hebrew narrative where God's people were given this choice? Can you think of a time where the Lord had placed his created people in a beautiful land, a spacious land, a fruitful land, and he set before them a decision? Genesis 3, 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Right from the beginning, we have had this decision in front of us. Life and good. Death and evil. The decision has always been there. And the Lord is saying, Follow my ways, keep my laws, be faithful to me, and you have life and good. If you reject me, the only alternative is death and evil. There is not a third option. Those are the consequences of our decisions. Do we follow after the Lord, or do we reject him 
and embrace death. Every decision can be boiled down to that. Now, when we, when we think about law, um, I mean, just even the word kind of has an oppressive nature to it almost, right? Like, the law, right? It feels heavy. But that is not at all how they viewed the law. Deuteronomy 4 says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes, statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? God's law is so good. Right? Even the people outside of Israel saw that that there was something altogether different about the way of life that God was calling Israel to. And it was attractive, and it was appealing, and it led to life. So the law is not oppressive. The law isn't trying to weigh you down and, and kill your fun. The law is trying to give you life. All right, so you may be saying, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but we're not under that covenant anymore. Right? We're under a new covenant in Christ. Certainly we are. Um, I wouldn't be so quick to disregard the law that we read um, in the Old Testament, though, because this is the wisdom of God displayed in daily life. But you're right. We do live under a new covenant in Christ. We are married to him. Right? We have made a covenant with him. We have a better blood sprinkled on us. And for many of us, we have made a decision to follow Christ, right? We made that decision, we came to the altar, and we were wedded to him. What about today? Will you decide to do today what you have already decided to do? Will you love Christ today? Like, I'm not really worried about what happened in sixth grade you know, at youth retreat today. Will you follow Christ today? He calls us to take up our cross daily and follow after him, right? Turn to uh, Matthew 7. So while you're turning, I just want to remind you, so obedience does lead to abundant life, even in our new covenant. Now, I'm not not promoting a prosperity gospel. Um, I think the blessings that the Lord gives us through Christ far surpass any sort of material wealth or pleasure. But Jesus does say in John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Right? Following after Christ, after his ways, leads to life and good. What if we don't? 
What if we disregard? What, what are the consequences if we say no? Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. The fruit of our lives, what is displayed on the outside for others to see, only reflects where our roots are. You may be saying, okay, well, he's talking about false prophets there. Okay, fair enough. Next verse. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's the same decision in front of us, right? We follow after the will of the Father or we are a worker of lawlessness. One leads to life one leads to death. John read this for us earlier, but let's, let's look at it again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Both people heard the words of Christ in that parable. Both people knew what Christ had taught. The only difference is one person did them and the other did not. It's these decisions that we make what will you do today? Will you decide today to do what you have already decided to do or not? Because your decisions will have consequences. They will either lead to life and good, or they will lead to death and evil. Last week, we talked about removing strongholds. So Jesus says this in Matthew 5. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What will you do today? Do you hate sin the way God hates sin? Do you treat it like a cancer and cut it out and get rid of it? Because if you don't, it will kill you. The sin in our lives will kill us. 
If we decide to give in to that sin, it walks us directly to death. Every time. No exceptions. There's two options, right? So today, I want you to decide that you're going to follow Christ. And our decisions have an action attached to them, and that action is an expression of love. And tomorrow, you need to make that same decision again. Now, yesterday, you might not have, right? And there is a massively important doctrine of forgiveness, and we're going to talk about that next week. And thank God for forgiveness. But I just want to point out that Christ's Sermon on the Mount ended this way. Those were his last words on on that sermon. So what are you going to do with Christ's teachings? What are you going to do with the law that God has given us? Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Because the decision you make on that question will have consequences. And right now, Christ is setting before you life and good and death and evil. And he is compelling you to choose life so that you may live. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that we even have this option to choose. We do not deserve this. Lord, thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you offer us life. Despite all of our yesterdays, you give us life today. Lord, I do pray that we could all be like Joshua and that we would choose this day whom we will serve and that each one of us could say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, we also know that that has to be a choice every day. Deciding that yesterday is insufficient for today. So God, I ask for the courage and the strength to make that decision today. Thank you that you have granted us your spirit. Thank you that you give us the wisdom to know the difference between right and and wrong, and that we can see clearly through your eyes. Amen.